welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. Let's start here at Genesis 4, verse 2, and this is the passage we're going to be in today. Um, Everybody ready? Let's do it. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we ask that it would be planted into our hearts to produce a kingdom of heaven seed, that the word of God, that your dynamic matrix of being would be planted deep inside of us and that we would bear the fruit of the kingdom of heaven in our life everywhere. Go in Jesus' name and everybody said amen. 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 Thank you, Heidi. Can we give Heidi a hand for synthesizing, synthesizing the scripture reading? Synthesizing. So I've named this message the highest hierarchy. Um, And we did a message two weeks ago called a higher hierarchy. And the point of that message was that God has a moral way and order and the world has a moral way and order. And God's way and order is... Uh, is superior in hierarchical order and value to the world's way of moral order. Remember that one? That was a pretty good one. If you don't remember it, Spotify, boom, yeah. boom. King's Church podcast, SoundCloud, boom. Um, we had 275 plays this week on our messages. Isn't that wild? And so um, people are getting encouraged by what God is speaking through us, and we're honored to be able to represent God's word. Good morning. I don't. I don't. Um, I don't like horror movies. I, I don't like slasher films, like the cut 'em up stuff. I have a specific distaste for Quentin Tarantino, personally. I hope to not see him on the streets on a bad day. Just like his forehead is so giant, it would be really easy to connect with. Giant forehead man. I don't like Quentin Tarantino for this main reason. Because his movies aren't just like, they're not just over-the-top brutal. I mean, that's whatever, like whatever. I have a problem with Tarantino because of the, the wrongful application of justice. And, I, and that really, really bothers me deeply. 
You're like, what do you mean, David? Well, all the Tarantino movies are about the same. There's some kind of hero, and that hero has some kind of brutal act that happens to him or her, Kill Bill or whatever, early in the movie. Some kind of horrific thing happens to that person, and then that person goes ham, as the kids say these days, right? And they go ham in such a way, they're like pulling people's eyeballs out and putting them in their ears and then spin-kicking the head off. It's like every Tarantino movie is that sequence of events. And it's not just like people that deserve to die, it's like everybody dies. Because this person has been wronged, everybody's getting their head spun kicked off, like everyone, right? And then um, he's just such a, God save Tarantino in Jesus' name, because he's such a gross person. And I just think like, I just think like, like the brutality is wrong, but the application of justice is so wrong because Hollywood has become our pastors. Think about this this morning. Like, for the first year and a half of King's Church, I didn't speak on any cultural issues because I was trying to just be one of those pastors that, like, we only talk about Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> and then I was like, but we live in a world today. Where's my phone at? Where, like, somebody is telling me about moral order every day, all day long. Think about when people used to work on, in the field. Like, you didn't have working in the field, like somebody standing out in the field and every, like, six-minute break, they're like, this is how the world should be. That didn't happen. But we literally live in a time right now where as soon as you get on this thing and you open up Instagram or Facebook or whatever your poison is, that was kind of funny, the poison part, whatever your poison is, um, you're getting spoken to about moral order about morality, the way the world ought to be. And I was, um, I discovered Twitter really for the first time in the last couple of weeks. I didn't understand it. It's con- it was confusing to me. I'm like, what, what, what's the point of this? I realized it's really a news source. It's where you get news the fastest in the world. If something's happening, you find out about it on Twitter immediately, right? Then like eight hours later, a story comes out in a news station. But Twitter is like, this is exactly what happened. And Twitter told me this week via the Oreo company that homosexual marriage is the greatest thing in the whole world. And I'm like, I'm like on Twitter and I'm like, the, I'm like, Oreos? <laughs> Like Oreos is telling me, and this is, and I was just like, when, it, when ever in the history of man have corporations become our pastors? Literally become the people that determine to us or tell us how the moral order ought to be, and they're twisting the and Oreo. Oreo is a, is an entity that wants to sell the most Oreos. That's all they care about. They don't care about the moral order. They don't care about right and wrong. They're like, oh, everyone's having like rainbow Oreos. I mean, rainbow stuff. Let's have a rainbow Oreo to sell more Oreos. And like people are on their work break all across the world. And they're like, let me just, let me get some, let me see what my pastor's up to. They're not actually saying that. And they open up Twitter, their pastor, and then their pastor Oreo says, this is how you should believe about the world. And they show like a heartbreaker commercial about some heartbreaker issue and then insert homosexuality, homosexual marriage is the greatest thing in the entire universe. Believe that. And every reasonable person that doesn't have an actual pastor or believe in an actual moral order says, yeah, Oreo, you're 100% right on that point. 
I never knew I needed Oreo to tell me about moral order. I'm so grateful. Double stuffed, bro. Double stuffed. And they're telling us how the world should be morally. And Tarantino and his movie and his ilk are doing the same thing in justice. And they're saying there was a horrific act that happened. Like, you know, somebody said, uh, called me a racial pejorative. That's a bad thing. Jesus actually said, if you call your brother fool, you will be liable to hellfire. Okay, do we know that? So Jesus said that. That's where we get our moral order and structure as Christians. So let's not do that, okay? But in our current context, it's like somebody called someone a racial pejorative, kill that person. What? Beat the, that person's face in. Punch them until there's blood flowing out of their face. And it's justified because these lunatics have been our moral teachers. And their, their incentive is just to have more power and more money and more stuff. The pastor has the opposite incentive. The pastor has the incentive to do what the doctor does, which is tell you what's wrong with you. You know, imagine, imagine you go to the doctor's office, and the doctor's like, you have like this tumor coming out of your body like this. And the doctor's like, oh no, that totally happens when everybody reaches 39. It's great. We just put a hat on it. <laughs> you have a little tumor cowboy hat to put on it. No, a doctor tells you what's wrong with you so you don't die. And we're like, oh, okay. That's what the pastor is supposed to do. And now we have Oreo doing that. I mean, I like Oreos, so that's just, so it was unfortunate. I really like Oreos, as you can <laughs> love them. Quad stuff, those bad boys. I want to read a couple of scriptures. Can I do that? Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Love and, and, uh, love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who know the joyful sound, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your presence. Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. And this is something I found this week in Psalm chapter 7. And, and, and if you don't read your Bibles, I just I highly recommend it. Um, I have this magical device right here that has a Bible in it, believe it or not, and gives me a reminder every day that I should read it. And every morning I wake up, I'm like, yeah, I should probably do that. I should probably read that. And I was listening to the app this week, and I discovered this scripture. And P.S., no joke, so you should have an app, and you should have a reminder bell that goes off that says, read your Bible every day. You should have it, right? Um, Psalm 7, I found the scripture. It says this uh, in verse 10, my shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. You know, I was thinking about like the Good Good Father song. I was just thinking like, and I was thinking about singing like, God displays his wrath every day. <laughs> like it doesn't go as well. It doesn't flow the same. There's scriptures in the Bible that nobody talks about, that nobody mentions. And it's like, wait a second, I don't ever remember hearing a message in my whole life on Psalm 7, verse 11, God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. And you're like, well, is that kind of mean? 
and then, the, and then the answer to that is, do you have any idea how evil the world is? That little girls are being, are being kidnapped from Mexico by coyotes and brought to the United States to be raped? There's a, there's a guy, in, a senator in Texas that told this story about this little girl who got kidnapped, taken over the border, which is, by the way, why we have walls and why we have borders and why we make sure this stuff, that people aren't kidnapping people from other countries and bring P.S., little factoid. And she got taken to New York City and she got raped 20 to 40 times a day two years ago in our city. And you're like, well, why would God ever be full of wrath? Well, that's why. That's actually why. And it's, that's why he says, if he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. And so God applies appropriate justice to those who break his covenant or break his way. And so um, I want to get into this Cain and Abel story because I think it's pretty incredible. And I think if you understand the Cain and Abel story, uh, first of all, it's incredibly, it's highly complex and it's highly debated over theologically, whether Cain or Abel, whether their sacrifices were equivalent and all of this kind of stuff. But I want to talk about the story in the, in the nature of justice, and I actually expressly want to talk about this thing called innocent blood. And so uh, the, the title of the message is The Highest Hierarchy, and just to throw the point out in front before we get to it, the shedding of innocent blood is of the highest order in the hierarchy of things ought not to be done. And there is incredible power in the shedding of innocent blood for a couple of reasons. First of all, Genesis chapter 3, God creates the earth, two, well, he creates the earth, one, two, three, right? Creates the universe, and three, we really get into the story of God interacting with man. But he does this thing where he takes dirt and he Let's say he picks it up just for the mental picture. It doesn't say that. He picks it up. He takes dirt and he says he forms man and then he breathes into man his life. And that breath kickstarts man into being, into existence. And the flowing of blood in the body is requisite for life. And in Leviticus, it tells us that there is life in the blood. So the biblical concept of blood itself is it's actually the essence of life. Okay? Can you hold on to this concept? So when we think about God breathing existence into mankind, we can think about him giving mankind blood and blood flowing through him. And so when we think about the concept of shedding of blood, it's the destruction of the very gift of God. It's the taking of from another the thing, the greatest thing that God gave them. Life is of the highest order. Giving of life is connected to that. That's why marriage is so incredibly important because it's about two humans coming together and creating more life. 
which is the original command of God. Come together, be fruitful, and multiply yourself. This is a gift that I have given you. Without it, you would literally not exist. And now I'm allowing you, literally, God life, I've breathed it into you, and now you have life. You are alive. You are, there is something different about you and every other substance in the universe. You are living and breathing. And Cain does this thing where he takes the life of Abel in an unjust way. And he, he commits a crime to Abel that is disproportionate to the act, Right? So let's read this. First of all, let's give context to the story. So, so we got these guys, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are sons of Adam and Eve, right? They're the first kind of kids uh, of the universe. And this is what Cain's name means. His name means to acquire or to possess a thing. So in the Old Testament, we had, there's always names and meanings with names. So if you think about how you would hold a story cultural, culturally and pass it down, because they didn't have things to write on, there was a lot of meaning in the story. So if you are looking at the names of the characters or the names of the cities or the places, it helps to play out or tell you about the context of the story that's being told itself. And one guy said that's, we call that term the uh, uh, etymologically cognate, that if you look at the scripture itself, there is a thinking that you need to read into it. And part of the reason, because they don't have writing, they can't tell all of the dimensions, so there's, peop, there's the names of people in the definitions. And Cain's name means to acquire a thing or possess it. And if you know what he does, it says that he's a tiller of the land. So he's acquiring and possessing things by the work of his hand. And literally, he's acquiring and possessing things through the work of his hand with the land that God has cursed. Now, there's nothing wrong with him working or, or acquiring or possessing things. But his worth, if his worth is related to acquiring or possessing things, then he's missing the boat. So Abel actually means to be empty. And you say, well, what does that matter? It matters because it says in the book of Colossians, excuse me, it says in the book of Philippians that Jesus Christ emptied himself and made himself of no account for our sakes. And so the story of Cain and Abel is actually a prophetic, in part, a prophetic image of the death of the, of the Son of God who emptied himself, who was a shepherd, right, the good shepherd who laid his life down and his blood was spilled by an older brother, by the Pharisees and Sadducees who were the older brothers without justification in rage because of the attitude of God towards the younger brother. We call that typology. We see Jesus, and Jesus said to the Pharisees, if you remember, he says, you search the scriptures and you, you look for eternal life in the scriptures, but it is they that testify of me. And so there's this picture of innocent blood being spilt. And so what happens? Um, why, why, does, why does Cain kill Abel? This is what happens. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit, first fruits of the soil, and Abel brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, there are theologians out there, and this is just a point to put in your head for a rainy day, that say there wasn't a difference between the sacrifice. 
It's not true according to the scriptural context, and it's not true according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, where it says, and Abel brought a more excellent sacrifice. Okay, so in the olden times, fat was the best part of the animal because it was the most flavorful. And so when Abel brings the first fruits of his, of his flocks and the fat of the first fruit, it is like the best of the best thing I could possibly give you. It's not like, God, here's an offering. It's like, here's some fruits and vegetables. I really like you too. It's like, no, God, I'm giving you the best of the best thing. Have you ever have been like at a birthday party and like somebody gives you the best gift and you're just super happy with that person? Like, it's not logical. It's so illogical, actually, that Proverbs says if a person is mad at you, you should give them a bribe and it'll make them like you. And that's so weird. Gifts do something to human beings that, like, just messes with our brain. You're like, I really like this guy. Like, I like my wife, too, but today I really like this guy because he got me this really cool thing. And God is relational. We are made in his image and likeness. And so when we give the best of ourselves to him, he really likes it. When we say God with our tithe, let's use that example. God, this is lunacy that I have to give you 10% of all my money. I don't want to do this. And if someone does that, God's like, that is my dude. He literally trusts me with his whole life. Or something like, God, I'm going to be courageous for you today. I'm going to talk to somebody about Jesus. All of my friends are terrified, and I'm going to do it. And God's like, this guy is bringing me something super ultra sacrificial. It's like the best of the best thing. I've been, um, I told our team this morning, I've been imagining preaching on the subway for seven years. And having, I had like just pictures in my mind haunting me from the Holy Spirit, likely. Holy Ghost in that context. Um, of preaching on the subway. And I would see myself, I see the, you know, the subway's doors close and I preach. And I'm like, I want to do this. I need to do it. I know God wants me to do it. And I know there's a way to preach on the subway that'll actually, like, it'll touch people's hearts for real. Not like just getting on and just being like, you're all going to hell and I'm super excited about it. <laughs> Those guys are, are not fun to listen to on the subway. <laughs> But I was like, what if you actually got on and you actually told him how incredible God was? That he's so insanely incredible, he made an entire universe with sunsets and stars and galaxies and rainbows and unicorns. Did he make unicorns? Was that a thing? Horses. Let's say horses. He made... <laughs> yeah. He made all this amazing stuff and he put you in it because he loves you so incredibly. And then he set man in a garden because he loved them so much. And then there was this explosion of sin in the world and it separated God from man. And I said to myself, we, I can tell this story in a way that's really compelling, I think. And so I, I asked Sincere if he would go with me this Friday night to preach on the subways. And, you know, it's like, oh yeah, totally. I would totally do that. I'm totally brave. I would do that all the time. I was like, from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. when we said we were sort of meet up time, I was like sick to my stomach. I'm like... I got to think of a good excuse. I'm like, I have to. Come on, Lord, give me COVID, please. You know? I want to get out of it. It's different than like, it's, it's different than preaching on a corner where people can walk by you. I had to do that as in um, Bible school as a young guy, but nobody pays attention to you like this. Go, they cross the street, you know, they just avoid. But when, you're, when the door's shut and you have them, you're like, ha 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 ha. 
And so we preached for, I don't know, 40 minutes probably, between an hour, hour between, you know, something around the hour mark. And so it was like, you know, it's New York. So it's like, like, it's like some people just like, so they like turning up the volume on my phone. <laughs> just like, just drown you out. And then there's some people that want to murder you. There's some people that, there's one girl that was like literally closing her ears and turning away. She's, I know she's, she's like, why didn't I bring my ear pods with me? Earbuds. Um, and there's some people that have the rage face. And then there's some people that are like desperation in their eyes. Like, why, like, where, where is, where, 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 where is this? Where is anyone teaching me about God and the universe and that he actually might love me? Because certainly Oreo is not doing that these days. And so we, um, we did it. And then at the end, there's a young lady got up. Because we were, at the end, we were saying, if you want us to pray for you, we're going to jump off at this stop. And this young lady jumped off at the stop with us and we prayed for her. She said, she was asking me like, uh, like apologetic questions, which I'm like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty ninja at apologetics, so that was pretty easy. And then we got to, um, she's like, okay, now I have something really hard. And I'm like, okay, what is it? She's like, oh, I have a lot, I have a nerve damage, so I have a massive pain in my back and my lower back and my upper back. And can God do something about that? And I was like, yeah, God can heal you right now. And I'm going to pray for you and God's going to heal you right now. And so... Um, this is, that's when you're like, God, please do something. You know, like, why did I say you're going to? Why did I say, like, maybe? <laughs> so I laid my hands on her. We prayed a prayer. And she's like, I said, how do you feel? She's like, I feel, I feel nothing. I feel like somebody put some kind of numbing in my back. I don't feel anything in my back. All the pain is gone. And then prayed for, you know, her eyeballs and her whatever else. We prayed for a bunch of other issues. And. And she had, a, and she had an, an encounter with God that was real and legitimate. And I, I, I say the story just to show off, to be honest. <laughs> no. no, I love that when the Holy Spirit does stuff. I say the story just because, like, I think God is, this is what it says. This is what it says when the disciples come back. It doesn't say, like, it's so cool that someone got healed. It doesn't actually say that. When they come back and they're boasting about the miracles, Jesus says, boast not that you have authority over the demons, but boast that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And I just felt like, like I was going home telling my wife about it on the way. I'm like, I wasn't, I was excited that she got touched by God and healed. That was awesome. But I was also just excited because I knew God was proud. And that's the Abel story right here. He's giving the best thing that he could possibly give. This sacrificial gift he gives to God, and God super loves it. And he loves it so much, it's evident to both Cain and Abel. And we don't know how it's evident. We don't know if fire fell. I've heard people theorize that fire fell on, Cable's, uh, on, on Abel's offering, and that's how God received it, and that's how they know it was different. I've heard, heard lots of different theories. But God was just pumped about something that was that valuable a gift. And can I just encourage you guys? God is real. Are we there? Are we all there? Are we on that one? Okay. He's, he's actually personal. He wants, to, he wants to commune with us. Are we on that one too? He's, he made us in his image and likeness, right? Are we that, on that? He likes gifts. Can we, can we agree there as well? And can I just say, if you want to please God this week, give him something sacrificial. It may be the, your mornings. It may be... Your, your Bible time, it may be, just give him something sacrificial. He likes it. I, I want to be someone that pleases God. I want to be someone that lives a life that I'm pleasing to God. Amen?
Okay, so um, why did why did God like that gift of Abel's? We just said because it was a really it was like a, something of significance. It was the firstborn of the flocks, and it was the fat, the best part. So it's the best of the best thing He's given. And then Cain has this response. Cain, it says his face is downcast. He gets pissed. Cain is not happy that God didn't accept his sacrifice. And why? Because it was a sacrifice. Like Cain didn't like he didn't pee in a hole and be like that's for you God. He he literally gave him something of value that he worked the ground and had the produce and he brought it to God in a sacrificial format and God wasn't as into it. And it made Cain very angry. And he said the world that I live in is unjust. What are these rules God? Like, what are you, some kind of arbitrary mean guy up there? You take his sheep guts and you don't take my carrots that are beautiful, you know? And he starts working this thing in his head, and he says, this is an unjust world that I live in. God is not treating me fairly. God is not treating me justly. And God knows who gave the best. God just knows that. He's God. He knows those kinds of things. He he knows Abel gave the best, and he blessed Abel rightly because of it, and Cain just whatever. It wasn't the same deal. And there's an inequality at play here, and because of the inequality, Cain loses it. And we live in a culture right now that says, look at all of the inequality. Because of the inequality, you should rage ball. There's inequality. Uh, This group of people is getting arrested more than this person. We should rage ball. We should rage. The system's unjust. The system's unfair. You know, I find this thing that's really interesting. People that fall away from God, I find that oftentimes in my conversations with them, they start contemplating people like Judas. And people say about Judas, why would God ever choose someone to be the bad guy? How could God be that unjust? The pathway to unbelief is to first believe that God himself is unjust and that his way is unjust and the whole way is unjust and the whole system is broken. Do you know, like, uh, uh, Satan worshipers, they, they, they believe, like, it's just a war. It's just, it's just black hat versus white hat. It's not, there's not good. There's good universal. The devil's good. God's good. They're just on different teams. They believe that God is just as unjust sometimes as Satan is just as unjust sometimes. And I find that happens in the person that is being pulled away, and he's saying, I want justification for doing something horrible. And, and Cain gets so full of this spirit of rage and retribution, which is the same spirit that is alive today in organizations like Black Lives Matter that says be filled with rage and retribution for your, because of the inequities. That's the same kind of spirit at play here, right? And it's saying take matters into your own hands. And God says to Cain, like, brother, it's not all that bad. Sin hasn't taken over yet. It's crouching at your door, and it wants to make you subservient yet, but it's not come in yet. There's still time. You could, there's next season. You can bring me the shiniest onions you got, bro. Like, it's not all over, right? And, like, Cain's creating this system like, no, God is evil. The world is unjust. There's inequities. It's not fair. <laughs> not fair. <laughs> <laughs> And because he's so filled with this spirit, it takes him to the point of murder 
And he says, God, if you won't give from me, I'll take from you. And the kid that's God's seemingly favorite kid in this season, Abel says, I'm going to take him from you. And Abel rises up in the field and strikes down Cain, and his blood is spilt. The gift of God that is life, that is flowing through the brother Abel, is broken, and Abel himself, his blood, is emptied out. And thus his name is Abel to be the one who was emptied. And the Lord said, verse 10, what have you done? Listen, your blood, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. How is that, how is that possible? Now there's some metaphoric language here, obviously, right? But how is that possible? Because the life is in the blood and even as it's fallen, it can still cry out to God. The life has left Abel. Abel's not existing anymore, but the the blood is crying out to God. And so there's this picture in Scripture. I'm going to to share the verse in Leviticus 17.10. If anyone from the house of Israel or a foreigner living among them eats any blood, I will set my face against the person and cut him off from his people. People read the Bible and they're like, they totally don't understand any of these Scriptures. They're like, like the the pseudo-atheist is like, I can't believe God wouldn't let you eat blood. (laughs) You're like, there's a really important purpose to it. It's actually incredible and beautiful and complex if you'll take a minute to shit up and listen. Because it's about the, the most important gift that God has given us is this life symbolized by blood. In verse 11 it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for your souls upon the altar. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And you're like, okay, what What does that mean exactly? I don't understand that fully. So this is the idea, right? Blood is an atoning agent for sin. And you can say, well, why though? Why does God just decide to arbitrarily use this red, sticky, oozy stuff to make atonement for sin? But it's not like that. It's like this. It's like God gave man life, the greatest gift that man has. And And when God says to man, live and be in this way, this is life that I've given you, and I'm asking you with this gift that I've given you, with you haven't given me anything, there's no cash or credit, you know, conversion here, I'm asking you to live in this way. And when you decide to not live in this way, you are breaking covenant with the giver of life, and you are walking out of congruence with life itself. And so the only way to redeem that is by blood, which is representative of life. And that's why it says in Leviticus that blood is the thing that creates remission of sin. But man's blood could never do that because we were corrupted by sin. Because we're the people that ate the apple. We're the people that did the the apple, the fruit. We have sin in us and amongst us. It is integral inside of us. The, um, the, the reform guys have this doctrine, and, and this doctrine, the total depravity, T and tulip. Um, and the idea is not that 
like total depravity. It's not like you're walking around with a ghoul as a ghoul with boogers coming out of your nose at all times. That's the weird. It means every part of you, the totality of all of you has been corrupted by sin. So even the life that we have itself has been corrupted by sin. And that's why we needed a different blood to be shed. That's why we needed Jesus to come from the seed of God, the incorruptible seed, to be born of a woman, to embody flesh and blood, that his blood would be shed for us through the wrath of the older brother who says it's unjust. This world is unfair that you've given me. It's wrong and it's evil. I hate that you love him more than me. While Cain all the time is the one acting in his own rage, He's the one, if you look at the story, if you look at the hierarchy, he's the one that's acting totally out of proportion with what happened. There's an encounter with God. It doesn't go his way. Big deal. He gets so crazed by that, he turns it to murder. And you can see in the same way in the life of Jesus, like there's no justification for the murder of the Son of God. Abel as a type of Christ. I want to share this um, as we close, but um, the highest hierarchy is the shedding of innocent blood. And I've been talking about, I'm writing this piece right now about this whole issue. And we're talk, we've been talking about truth and justice and there's a political divide. And, and I've, I've said a lot of times, like in the book of Joshua, like we're not for a certain political party. We're for a certain set of truths. We believe there's a moral hierarchy and a moral hierarchy of order. And on the top of that order is the shedding of innocent blood. And we have a nation where one million babies are aborted every year. Listen, friends, it doesn't get more innocent than a baby. It doesn't get more innocent. And as in the story of Cain and Abel, their blood cries out to be avenged. It's not just crying out, saying, I'm, 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 such, I'm in such pain, God. It's crying out to be avenged by a perfectly just God. Yeah. Listen, there are issues in the country. There are a million issues in the country. And there are a million things that politicians can do to make it 1% better. I mean that sincerely. But the shedding of innocent blood, that blood is crying out to God. Yes. And it is the highest point of moral failing in our society. No other issue in our society comes close to touching that issue. And if anyone says that, they do not understand that the shedding of innocent blood is the most important thing in the scripture. And it's so important that the shedding of God's blood heals us all, redeems us all, it literally fixes the universe. And so God comes down as the person of Jesus and he says, my innocent blood will be shed for you. And the power of that blood redeems us all. All of us that would we be willing to find ourselves hidden in the cleft not for those of us who reject Christ, not for those of us who say, no, nah, I've got it, I don't need your blood, I don't need the shedding of your innocence, I'm, I'm fine on my own, my justice will take me there. Genesis 4-2, Abel was a shepherd, 
Genesis 4.4. It was a shepherd that he, as he presented a gift to God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Genesis 4.7, Cain was jealous and Abel, uh, it was out of envy that Cain slew Abel. Genesis 4.8, Abel did not die naturally. Genesis 4.8, he died through violence. Um, punishment was meted out upon his murder. The offering Abel presented was an offering unto God, as was Christ's. In the presentation of his offering, Abel obtained witness that he was righteous, uh, Hebrews 11.4. And Abel was, made, was saved and made righteous by his sacrifice to God. The scripture says that Jesus did not account equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But he made himself a slave, took, taking the form of a bond slave, and he made himself obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that at the shedding of his blood, we would all be transformed. That's why we do, that's why we do communion every week, because it's not through your cane work, your striving in the dirt. You're acquiring by your own power or by your own sake that redeems, saves, or transforms. It's by the blood of Jesus and walking in his sacrifice and being found in his presence that transforms the heart of man. Um, And that's why... It's so essential that we as believers would understand the power of God's way, the power of the shedding of innocent blood and what it does for us. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.